This comes from Luke 14, verses 12 through 24. The parable of the great banquet. He also said to the man who invited him, When you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. When one of those who reclined at the table with him heard these things, he said to him, Blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. But he said to him, A man once gave a great banquet and invited many, and at the time for the banquet, he sent his servants to say to those who had been invited, Come, for everyone is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first one said to him, I bought a field and I must go out and see it. Please have me excused. And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen and I go in to examine them. Please have me excused. And another said, I am married and a wife, and therefore I cannot come. So the servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house became angry and said to his servant, Go out quickly to the streets and lanes of the city, and bring in the poor and the crippled and the blind and the lame. And the servant said, Sir, what you have commanded has been done, and still there is room. And the master said to the servant, Go out in the highways and the hedges and compel people to come in, that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of these men who were invited shall taste my banquet. Lord, uh, we pray that we would be obedient to your calling for us to come into your presence, God. Lord, we pray that you would uh, draw us in a powerful way. Lord, help us to feast upon your banquet and delight in your goodness. Lord, this morning as Ryan uh, opens up God's word, we pray that you would give him your words and your thoughts. Lord, we pray that you would uh, speak through him in a way that would pierce our souls and our hearts. God, uh, we pray that your name would be glorified. God, we pray that your kingdom would be extended and that you might use us in that. Lord, uh, may your name be glorified. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, today we're, we're continuing our sermon series on uh, the parables of Jesus, where we've been looking at a select group of those. And, and today we, we look at this parable of the great banquet, which has always been one of the most convicting ones to me because it is so applicable to my life, to my house, to my dinner table, and yours as well. I was in class a couple of summers ago, uh, and a man by the name of Lyman Coleman was teaching us about discipleship. Um, and, and he took us through this exercise that's, that's been life-changing for me. He said, I want you to, to take some time in your group. We were in groups of five or six people. He said, I want you to share your story with one another. And I'm thinking, okay, we've kind of done this before. But then he pulls out a sheet of paper that has a box on it and a bunch of crayons. And I'm like, Lyman, like we're postgraduate students. You know, we're not, we're not kindergarten. We don't need crayons to tell our story. But the reason that he wanted us to do that is he wanted us to tell our stories through the lens of the, of the table that we grew up around. He said, I want you to share your story in light of that. And so uh, immediately I thought it was kind of cheesy, but as I started pressing into it, it was one of the most powerful experiences of my life because it told me so much about who I am today and, and my friends that were in the cohort with me. And I, the point of it is this, is, um, you know, I grew up in, in, in a fairly broken family and I actually had like three or four dinner tables growing up because of the impact of 
divorce on my family, and uh, I, picked, I picked up learned behaviors and bits and pieces of myself and my own nature now, both for better and for worse, around my table. And, and the thing that I want you to see is that the same thing has happened to you, and the same thing is happening to you now. Some of the people in my group drew a, 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 a picture of a, of a table uh, that was empty, and a couch, and a TV, because they grew up eating dinner alone. Others had these grand banquet tables where everything was healthy and communication was good and the the mood of the table was positive and there was great interaction between siblings and mothers and fathers and others of us had very broken communication around the table. And the thing that I saw is that it shaped the way that uh, that I've grown up, it shaped the man that I've become and it shaped how God's grace has met me in that struggle. It's one of the most impactful uh, exercises I've ever been through. Some of you here have been through that as well because I immediately said after I saw it, I said, hey, man, can I steal this? And he said, sure, why not? And so I shared it with, with some of you guys a couple of years ago that are discipleship group leaders. What if I were to tell you, church, that your view of the table explains more about the kingdom of God than nearly anything else about you? That's where this parable hits us today. This is why Jesus spent so much time around the table with different types of people. Because this is how he, he chose to advance his kingdom while he's on earth, while he was on earth. And so our big idea of where we're going today in this parable is this. The gospel transforms how we view the table. The gospel transforms how we view the table. So let's do this. Let, let's dig in. Um, the first point here uh, is actually not going to be in the parable at all, but it's going to be looking at the story of God's relationship with us and how it can be told through looking at the table. So I want you to think about this for a second. Think about our relationship to food and others and God and and how the story of humanity can be told through that. The opening scene of Genesis, uh, you know, chapter 2, is is Adam and Eve are are, are given uh, an entire garden. They're placed in in a garden of, of, of food and fruits and vegetables, and they can eat anything in that garden except for that one tree. And there was this this one day where they chose to eat alone. They chose to take the bait of temptation from the enemy, and they chose to eat alone. And, and, And because of that, the consequences of what their lives become were affected by how they viewed the table, how they viewed their relationship with God, and they decided to have dinner alone. But not too long after that, the Lord pursues his people Israel through the table. Do you remember in, in, in uh, Israel's history and culture, the, 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 the feast of the Passover that so much described the culture of Israel was, was that, that night that, that the Lord met his people and, and, he, and he sent an angel of death over the camp in Exodus 12, over the camp of, of, um, of the Israelites and, and through the Egyptian uh, culture there in Egypt. And, and for all that... that, that um, that trusted in the Lord, he passed over them and he freed them from slavery after being there for years and years and years. And, and to commemorate that release from bondage, he tells them to celebrate through the Passover meal. Think about David's table. King David was a man that was deeply touched by God's grace and mercy. He was a man that was sinful just like you and I. Do you remember that scene in um, in Second uh, Samuel chapter 4 where David is kind of thinking through his best friend Jonathan, who just happens to be his predecessor's son, King Saul. And, 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 he, and he's thinking, man, is there any way that I could show kindness and favor 
to Jonathan's family, to King Saul's family, even though he hates me and wants to, he wants, he hates my guts, he wants me dead. Even though, and he's, and, 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 and it so comes to be that, that there's this, this crippled son named Mephibosheth that, that, uh, that's been basically ostracized from the family, and, and, and David says, I, I want to show favor to him. He says, bring him to the king's table. And I, lo- I love the scriptures because it says, it says that Mephibosheth sat at the king's table all the days of his life because he belonged at that table because of David's kindness and mercy to him who was shown from, from, uh, from God himself. Think about Jesus' table. Jesus didn't even have a home. The scriptures say the Son of Man had no place to, to lay his head. But how did Jesus view the table? He was a carpenter, didn't even have his own table. But the, the world became his table. He began to extend mercy and grace and fellowship to everyone that he encountered. And, and everywhere that he went was his table. The, 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 the Passover Feast of Grace, whenever he was, he was there with his disciples, he told them, listen, I'm, I'm the, the, the living lamb. I, I, the, the, we're no longer celebrating this, this Passover feast of, a, of an animal looking back at what I've done, but, but I'm becoming that sacrifice for you. And, and the scriptures say this in Matthew chapter 11, 19, the Son of Man came eating and drinking. And they say, look at him, a glutton, someone who eats too much. And a drunkard, someone who drinks too much. A friend of tax collectors and sinners. And Jesus says, yet wisdom is justified by her deeds. Robert Karras says this about Luke's gospel. He says, in Luke's gospel, Jesus is either going to a meal, at a meal, or coming from a meal. And why? Because around the table, it's level ground. We all have a common need. We all need friendship, companionship, and food. And Jesus extended his, his, his kingdom through the table because we are all sinners in desperate need of a Savior. And this is why Jesus came to do this. Eating and drinking were so crucial to the mission of Jesus because it indicated his friendship to the world. And some of you in here today don't really believe that. You don't really believe that Jesus is a friend of sinners. I was even just thinking and praying today, you know, Psalm 139 Search me and know me, God. You know everything about me. I have nothing to hide from you. And that's why Jesus came to extend his friendship and fellowship to us. I think about the Lord's Supper. How does Jesus tell us to remember him? Through the table. Through a table, through a feast of God's grace. We remember his death as we eat the bread and we drink the wine and the grape juice. As we remember what he's done for us. Think about how Jesus will return, church. Revelation chapter 19. How will he return when he consummates his kingdom, when he, when, he, when he comes back to take all the saints back home to heaven? What will he do? It will be inaugurated through the marriage supper of the Lamb. Church, how we view the table is absolutely transformed by God's grace. And I, The way that I see it is that it's really two directions. It's how God meets us in the table and, and our vertical relationship with him, but also how we extend the table horizontally to others. So let's dig into this parable of, uh, of, the, of the great banquet today. If you have a Bible, open up to, to Luke chapter 14. We've, we've read it, but I want to I go back a few verses and summarize just kind of the, the context of Jesus telling this parable uh, around the table. 
So Jesus was invited to this super ritzy dinner party, okay, um, by, by this guy who was a ruler of the Pharisees. But Jesus began to quickly see that this whole thing was really a setup. They'd stage this guy to come in. Uh, this is the beginning, uh, Luke chapter 14, verses 1 through 11. They staged this guy that, that had dropsy to, to come in. Uh, he, had, he had a physical ailment to come in to see if Jesus would heal him on the Sabbath. And, and, and Jesus uh, looked and he says, is it, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath, yes or no? And, and he goes ahead and he heals the guy. And he says, look, if your son or your animal was, was in trouble on the Sabbath, would you not do whatever it took to make him well? If your ox was in a ditch, wouldn't you rescue it? Or would you just let it die because you were so religious? You see, you see the issue was they were so busy, as Patrick preached last week, trying to keep the, 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 the words of the law and their status before God on their own, that they missed the heart of God's word. They missed the heart of God's law for his people. So then Jesus is, is at the table and he shares a couple of parables to the guest. Uh, he, he looks around and he, and he tells the guest, hey listen, I know you guys all want to sit in the place of honor because the way that it would work is the different seats around the table would, would basically be different indicators for social status. And everybody wanted to be something. I mean, just like today, we all want to be something. So they would place themselves at a higher seat, and Jesus says, really the best way to do it is to, to place yourself at the lowest seat, and then the master of the banquet can come up and say, hey, friend, move up a little higher. Sit here, because you're the guest of honor. And he says, everyone who exalts themselves will be humbled, but he who humbles himself will be exalted. And we can take that home today and, and put that into play, put that into practice. But then the parable that we're looking at is one where he looks to the kind of the master of the banquet, and, and he um, and he approaches him. And let me remind you what he says here. He says this, and this is Luke chapter 14, verses 12 through 14. He says, to the man who had invited him, he says, when you give a dinner or a banquet, don't just invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or your rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, invite the crippled, Invite the lame, invite the blind, invite the ones who can do nothing for you in return. And then, he says, you will be blessed because they cannot repay you. For you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. So what Jesus is saying here is this, and this is our, our first point here as we look at our vertical relationship with God. When the table becomes about us, we miss the heart of God. Now, there's a, there's a very spiritual plane that we're hitting here. Whenever our relationship with God becomes only about us, we miss the heart of God. But there's also this physical thing. Because Jesus was so fluid when he went between the spiritual and the physical. You ever notice that? He's always bringing the kingdom of God to very physical and practical things. He's bringing it to bear on the spiritual hearts of his people. And that's how he advances the kingdom. And so for us, we need to see those two in fluidity, in conjunction with each other. What we physically do with our lives reveals what we spiritually believe about the kingdom of God and our Father in heaven. And so he uses this illustration of a banquet table to teach us about the kingdom of God. Of God. He says, listen, if you throw one of these parties again, you should really take my wisdom, man, because this party is pretty lame. 
This, this, party, this party is nothing more than quid pro quo garbage. They're just going to invite you next month, and you're just going to keep doing that, and you're never really going to see anything change because everybody's plastic and everything's fake at this table. If you really want to experience what my kingdom is like, why don't you bring in people who need grace? Why don't you share your life with people who can do nothing for themselves? Then you'll prove who you belong to. Then you'll show what my kingdom is about. Because there's something that happens around the table that doesn't happen anywhere else in the world. Because everyone is leveled at the foot of the cross. Everyone is leveled at the seats around a table. And Jesus knows this. And he's trying to teach us something. Because if we really believed that we were spiritually poor, if we really believed that we were bankrupt, that we are the crippled, the lame, the blind, we would be just like Mephibosheth. Even though we can't get ourselves to the table, that, that, that we have to be carried to the table, we would sit there with joy because we know in our heart of hearts that we have no business sitting with God. We have no business being in fellowship with Him. He's trying to teach them a lesson about that. And then there's this guy. There's always that guy at the table. You know what I'm talking about. There's this guy in Luke 14, 15. that just makes this assumption. I think this is the original Jesus juke, okay? You ever heard Jesus juke? It's, a, it's an expression that whenever, you know, someone says something to you and you, and you, uh, you kind of bring up a Bible verse or something like that and kind of put them in their place real quick. So Jesus juke. So here, here's what happens here. This guy... Uh, says this, when, when, one, when one of those who reclined at the table with him heard these things, he said to him, he's listening to Jesus talking, he says, blessed be, blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. And it was like this blessing that he shouts out between all the people that are at there, and, and you know, he's expecting a round of applause, like, yeah, well done. But he's making this critical assumption about himself and the people that are sitting around the table, and it's this that they're going to be in the kingdom of God. Because here's the thing, just because you're around the church, just because you're around the table, doesn't mean that you're a part of the kingdom of God. And that's what Jesus is saying here. And he's saying that he knows this about them because of the way that they view themselves in light of God's grace around the table. Jesus is like, hey, not so fast, Sonny. And this had to be like so awkward, you know what I mean? For this guy that was, I mean, he was like a, a Peter type guy, but he didn't have God's grace in his life, you know. Peter stuck his foot in his mouth so many times, but, you know, Jesus met him on the beach in John 21 and restored him and, you know, and then he built the church through his preaching and his ministry. But this guy just thought a little bit too much about himself, and it was really based on his religious performance, and this is the original reason that Jesus tells this parable about the, the guests that are invited to the banquet. Because of the assumptions that we make about the kingdom of God. So my question to us is this. What is the basis of our relationship with God? If, 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 this, if this parable about the table is really about the kingdom of God and eternity and being in fellowship with God forever, what are the assumptions that we make about our relationship with God? What are the things that we take for granted that really aren't accurate about our relationship to God? Because here's the deal. If I base my relationship and standing with God on anything other than grace, I will not taste the banquet. 
I will not taste the banquet. For it's by grace that you've been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It's the gift of God. Ephesians chapter 2. And the, the problem that Jesus had with this guy at the banquet was that he didn't need grace. He didn't need mercy. And the thing that we're going to see is, is, is the people that know that they need mercy, that know that they need grace, guess what? They show up when the invitation is put out. And they'll taste the banquet in eternity with Jesus because the only thing that they base their lives on is the grace of God. So what is it for you if you were to stand before God in eternity and he were to say, you know, why should I let you into my kingdom in eternity? Why should, I, why should I have you as a guest at the marriage supper of the Lamb? What would you say? And, and I'm not, don't give me the Bible answer. Give me what's in your heart. What would you say? What would you say that your status with God is based on? And, and the way that you can tell what that is is, is what you're so disappointed in whenever your life doesn't look the way that you think it is. So, for instance, if, if, it, if it is my, the, the, the way that I kind of um, manufacture this appearance of righteousness, well, whenever the rug is pulled out from under me and I'm shown to be a sinner, I see what I'm trusting for my invitation at the table. Jesus says, listen, think about, think about the people that he uses when he, when he says, the, invite these people to the banquet if you really want to know what the kingdom of God's like. They can't get themselves to the table. They can't get themselves there. Let's keep going here. I'm preaching. We all make excuses that reveal our priorities about God. Okay, let's, let's read these excuses. There's some pretty lame ones here, if I'm honest with you. And I think that's the point that Jesus shares here because, just listen. Uh, Luke 14, 16. But he said to him, a man once gave a great banquet and invited many. And at that time for the banquet, he, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, Come, everything is ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I've bought a field and I've got to go see it. Please have me excused. Another one said, ah, I've got some oxen, I need to go check them out. And then the other says this, and this is my personal favorite, because what wife would not want to go to a banquet where she doesn't have to do the dishes or the cooking? He says this, I've married a wife and I can't come. I, I, you just can't hear that one, right? I mean, come on. Then the master of his house became angry and he said to his servant, go out, and quick, go out quickly to the streets and the lanes of the city and bring in the poor and the crippled and the blind and the lame. So here's how a banquet would work in this day. There would be two sets of invitations that would go out. The first one would be kind of the RSVP, so think about a wedding or something like that today. Hey, just let me know your intentions if you're coming or not. Because you can't go to Publix and just get the meat and, and get the vegetable tray and get the soup or whatever else you're going to have at the banquet. You can't do that. You've got to prepare it. You've got to go slaughter the animals. You've got to do the whole thing. It's a big process. It would take weeks to put this kind of thing together. And so you send out the first RSVP, okay, how many, you know, how many of these animals are going to have to go down for this banquet, okay? I'm, I'm more than willing to do it, but I just need to know how many. I don't want there to be in any unnecessary sacrifice for this banquet. And then the second set of, uh, uh, the, the, the second invitation will be this, hey, y'all, dinner served, get over here and get your seat at the table, right? That's what it would be like. So these people had responded to the first invitation, oh, I'm there I'm there. I'm going to be at that banquet. I'm making arrangements. I'm getting child care. We're doing this thing. We're doing it right. Then the second invitation would be like, okay, show up at the party. 
So this is where they give these excuses. It's that the second invitation, they've said the first one, they've responded to the call of the banquet. You see where I'm going? They said, I'm there. They walked the aisle. They were baptized. They were in Sunday school class. They might have led missional communities. But when Jesus actually showed up, they were nowhere to be found. They were busy doing other things. It's interesting. The property excuse. I, I, brought, I bought property and I need to go inspect it. This, would, this is ridiculous. No one would go buy property without seeing it first. They would have walked every square inch of that place looking if it was suitable for their needs. The oxen, there's no way that they would have bought five oxen without looking at them. You know, what if they were tiny oxen they couldn't pull anything? They would have already checked them out. And I already told you about the wife excuse. That's my favorite. But the point is this. There's a lot of people who think that they've been invited, um, that, that think they're going to be like this guy, sitting at the right hand of the Father around the, the banquet with Jesus for all of eternity in the presence of God, that ultimately have only responded to that first RSVP. They've only said, yeah, I'm there. I'm kind of doing that thing. But their hearts reveal ultimately that they're just too busy and they miss the kingdom of God all together. And here's the deal. We're all prone to make excuses about not responding to and obeying God's invitations throughout our lives. I'm, I miss more than I see, but I, by God's grace, I see more than I used to see, right? Those invitations of the kingdom, those, those moments when you can stop and pause and be present with someone. You know what I'm talking about? Those, those moments when you can, you, you can share that you're broken, but God is making you whole. Those moments when you, you go out of your way to someone who can't do anything for you. Those moments when you're a little bit more like Jesus than you were yesterday. And, and, and I love how James puts it here. I used to, when I was in college, I had this poster in my room about this really convicting verse. For some reason, I wanted to look at it every day. And uh, it's this right here, James 1, through 24. But be doers of the word and not only hearers. Because what is someone who only hears the word? What is someone who only responds to the first RSVP? They're deceived. They're deceived. They're that guy that says, blessed be those who are going to taste the kingdom of God in eternity at the banquet. And Jesus, Jesus jukes them by saying this. For if anyone's a hearer of the word and not a doer, here's what it's like. He gives this picture for us. He's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. He looks at it. He knows. He studied. He knows that pimple that's there, you know. He knows that scar that he got when he was riding his bike when he was a kid. He knows that his hairline is going a little bit further back than it used to, you know. He, he, knows, that he knows what he looks like. For he looks at himself and then he goes away and he forgets what he, what he was like. He says, this is what it's like to respond to that first invitation to say, you know, I hear the word. I'm going to show up. I'm going to be there, God. But then to say, hey, my wife is, uh, you know, she didn't really want to go to the banquet, so we're going we're to be out today. He says, that's what it's like to not really respond with your heart to the call of God to advance his kingdom in the world. But let me share this beautiful news with you. Because right now, we all want to get out of this room, right? Because we're all guilty of this. But here's what I want to share. Here's the beauty of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I want you to hear this if you don't hear anything else today. God is more eager to save sinners than sinners are to be saved. Amen? Listen to what he says in Luke 14, 21 through 24. And this is what happens to all the people 
you know, who, who declined the invitation, the, the religious leaders of the day who, who, who kind of had it all together that really weren't building the kingdom. He says this, so the servant came and he reported these things to his master. The servant was sent out to, to get the people, right? Second invitation. Then the master of the house became angry. And he said to his servant, you got to go out quickly to the streets and the lanes of the city and bring in the poor and the crippled and the blind and the lame. And the servant said, sir, what you have commanded has been done. And still there is more room. And the master said to the servant, then go out to the highways and the hedges and compel people to come in. That my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste my banquet. In other words, you can RSVP to the meal, but if you don't show up, you're not going to taste the banquet. But I want you to notice the heart of the master. He won't let his banquet be spoiled. Even though the, these, the religious Pharisees of this day did not respond to the servant kind-hearted nature of Jesus Christ who extended friendship to sinners, there were some that would respond. And in church today, there are still some that will respond. Because here's the deal about the banquet of God, the kingdom of God, is that because you and I are breathing and I'm still preaching, there's still room at the table. And, and, and you and I get to have a seat at that table through faith in Jesus Christ. He will not let the grace spoil because we're in this season of the kingdom of God where the feast of the grace of God through the work of Jesus Christ has been prepared. And for us, as we trust in him, he pulls up a seat and he says, friend, a little higher up. Because you're in Christ, you're a little better than you thought you were. You're perfectly righteous. You belong at this table, Mephibosheth, because the king knows you. And I don't know where you're at today. So some of you you, your hearts are filled with shame. I struggle with this sometimes too. We feel like we don't belong. And we give the enemy this foothold. We give him this foothold that, 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 that convinces us that we don't belong at the table. And then it takes us off mission because all we can think about is ourselves. But what the king has come to do is to invite us at the table. And he's sending us out as ambassadors, as servants, to tell everyone else, hey, there's still room. Come on in. I don't care if you didn't get a formal invitation. Consider this your formal invitation. There's room at the table for you. The invitation is, is this for you and I today. To feast at the king's table. Because the servant Jesus Christ has come out to the highways and the hedges and he's found me a very unlikely candidate to be seated at the table. First Christian in my family. You know, Eight marriages and divorces in my family. Not likely to be seated at the table. Your stories are similar. I've heard them. And he said, Ryan, you have a seat at the table. But not only do you have a seat, you also have an invitation to share. And that's what I want to close us with today is this. This horizontal invitation to the table. Because of what Jesus has done, he's given us a stack of invitations to go out to the highways and the hedges, whatever that may be for you, to share the kingdom of God with others. Because Christ lives in us, 
And he is the servant of God sent out to reveal the heart of God to the world around the table, eating and drinking with sinners and tax collectors, church. We're filled with that same heart in Christ through the Holy Spirit. And so I love, I love how Tim Chester puts this in this book. If, if you want to delve any deeper into this, there's a great little book called A Meal with Jesus by Tim Chester. It's like a hundred and something pages. It's really short. Check it out. Because this is the idea of what we're doing with missional communities as a church. Highways and hedges, people. It's not a supper club for the spiritual elite of the church. It's an invitation to the world to see and taste the kingdom of God through the work of Jesus in our own lives. He says this, Jesus didn't run projects. He didn't establish ministries, create programs, or put on events. You know what he did? He ate meals. If you routinely share meals and you have a passion for Jesus, then you'll be doing mission. It's not that meals save people, he says. People are saved through the gospel message, but meals will create natural opportunities to share that message in a context that resonates powerfully with what you're saying. In other words, the, the, the first invitation and the second invitation kind of makes sense when you're around the table together with people who don't belong at the table. Jesus calls us to cast the net wide, highways and hedges. What's that for you today? People that you think are beyond the reach of God, invite them around the table. See what happens. Think about your own dinner table. When you go home, I don't know what it looks like. Maybe it's round, maybe it's rectangle, maybe it's square, maybe it's really small, maybe it's huge. What if God wanted to build his kingdom around that table in your living room? Would you be open to it? This is really practical here. Because I think his desire is to do so. Because the Son of Man came eating and drinking with sinners and tax collectors. And he's called us to the highways and the hedges to share the kingdom of God around the table. Because there's really only one focus around the table. And it's this. It's either people that are new friends, old friends, or people that are on their way to being your friends. Because when you sit around the table, you've all got this common need of nourishment of something that you can't do on your own. And it neutralizes every difference that you could have when you're seated around that table. Think about what Jesus says about the people to invite to the table. The blind cannot go out and examine farmland. The crippled cannot plow a field with their, with their new oxen. The lame are not getting married. And the poor are not hobnobbing around with the rich. When we cast a net, we send an invitation to those that are at the highways and the hedges of our lives. Maybe it's the other side of the office at your workplace or the other part of the neighborhood. Or, or, or maybe it's you know, somebody that you've met through one of your kids' events or, or whatever it would be. When you send that invitation out to the people who can't get themselves together, you know what I can promise you? They're going to show up. I'm talking very physically. They're going to show up to the invitation of you sharing your life with them because they're primed. They're ready. They know that they don't have it together. And so what would it look like for you to be highways and hedges types of people like I know that you are? I want to give you a challenge, and this is like super practical, maybe the most practical takeaway I could ever give you. I dare you to throw a party this summer. I dare you. You say, well, Ryan, I live in an apartment. I'm just by myself. 
Get a group of friends together and throw a party. Or you say, Ryan, I don't know any of my neighbors. Well, you better get to know them. I dare you to throw a party this summer and just see if if a commonality around the table and a heart and a passion for Jesus doesn't lead to you being on mission. I dare you to do that this summer. This is one of the reasons why we change our rhythm over the summer is to free you up to not have so many commitments to be able to do that. I dare you to extend the kingdom of God around the table because knowing Jesus transforms how we view the table. Let's pray together. Father, I, I thank you that, um, that you have invited people from the highways and the hedges to taste your kingdom, to taste your grace, to know your heart, Lord. I'm thankful that you set an example around the table. Even though you didn't have your own house to invite people to, you extended grace through everywhere that you were when Jesus walked this earth. Lord, you sent Jesus to be a friend of sinners, to know your heart. For God so loved the world that He sent His Son. The Son of Man came eating and drinking with sinners and tax collectors because He loved the world. So Lord, may we love the world like You love the world. And God, may our stuff the things that we've acquired with our hard-earned money be used and set, released for your mission, God. And God, just maybe, just maybe, people might meet Jesus around our tables. God, I pray. I pray that we would, we would have a, a, a day in the near future where we have people saying, hey, you know that challenge you gave me? Well, my friend became a believer because of that. God, would you do that work through our church today? as we get our eyes off ourselves and fix them on you, the author and perfecter of the faith. It's in Jesus' name, amen.